Hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, Making Perfect Christmas Gifts All Year Round. Oh, yeah. Now, between the two of us, we have over 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and sessionable ideas. <laughs> He's just got to get that in there. I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. And on today's episode, well, we're going to head to the pub, cover up some of the beer news, and head into the brewery to talk a bunch of things that you and I have been doing, along with some beer tasting. But before we get started on any of that... Please take a listen to this message. This episode of the Experimental Brewing Podcast is brought to you by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you like to the podcast and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO, or click on the AHA link to join the American Homebrewers Association. Part of the proceeds from those will go to help support the podcast. And thanks for your support. Welcome back, and we're glad that you're here. We're going to kick off with a few announcements about some important stuff. Yep, and our first announcement is if you haven't checked your podcast feed, well, there was an episode of The Brew Files last week. I know it came out a little late, but hey, better late than never, where Denny and I reflect on exactly what's happened over 300 episodes of this show. <sighs> 300, oh man. 300 more, 300 more. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to live that long. <laughs> oh, you're going to live that long if I have anything to do with it, buddy. Uh, okay. All right. Our next announcement is actually a little bit of an announcement, just so you're aware that there's going to be a break for a period. So because the holidays are coming up and we're making some changes that will soon become readily and publicly available, we are going to take a two-week hiatus. So no episodes on 1223. Go enjoy your Christmas holidays, people. And 1230, so you can enjoy the planning for your New Year's holiday. Our next episode will be on January 6th to kick off the new year. But if you just can't stand not having an experimental brewing fix, you can go to our website, experimentalbrew.com, and there's 300 archived episodes there you can listen to to keep you busy during the holidays. Actually, by the time we get to that, there'll be 302 archived episodes. Oh, it's even worse. All right. And <laughs> Oh, why do we put ourselves through this? Because it's fun. Yeah, uh, so okay. Again, remember, that means no episodes on 1223 and 1230, so don't freak out. We'll be back on January 6th. And don't forget, you could support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can click the AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is finally ending, is... The Pongo Fund, a food bank for pets that uh, is helping people who are having trouble getting their pets fed great thing i mean you know let's face it pets need to eat we need to help them eat they're our buddies so go to experimentalbrew.com click on the patreon link there 
and toss us a few bucks that we can pass along to the Pongo Fund. And remember, you've got until the end of December to do that. On January 1st, we'll be flipping over to a new charity. Which, by the way, if you have ideas... Let us know. That's right. Uh, we always uh, appreciate suggestions. Stuff that benefits uh, animals and kids are always our favorite, but we'll entertain any ideas you got. Yeah, I, I have a great idea for a charity. It's yeah. called Drew's Cure for His Own Poverty. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's that, right. that, that, that is not one of our charities. Oh, darn. But you know what is one of our charities? Yes. Me having a beer. <laughs> Well, if you send us money, we will not put it towards Drew having a beer. But uh, that's what we're going to do right now is we're going to head over to the Experimental Brewing Pub, have some beers, and talk about them. Stick around. We're going to be right back. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. Yakima Chief Hops has the tools for your homebrew hop playbook. From classic favorites to the next exciting hop product out of the YCH R&D Lab. Partnering with growers and brewers to create a robust hop supply chain from propagation to pint, YCH is the source for exciting experimental hop varieties. Explore new flavors and aromas with HBC 586, which provides an immense fruit medley aroma including mango, citrus, and herbal notes. Get creative with HBC 630, overflowing with tropical citrus flavors that can only be described as fruity and fortified with sophisticated woody notes. Or discover new takes on your favorite recipes with HBC 638, brimming with citrus and tropical aromas with hints of sweet aromatic, herbal, and stone fruit. Learn more at yakimachief.com. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. This holiday season, give back to the brewing community when you join the American Homebrewers Association. From November 8th through December 15th, purchase an annual membership and the American Homebrewers Association will make a $5 donation to your choice of Beer for Boobs, Soldiers Angels Hops for Heroes, or the Michael James Jackson Foundation for Brewing and Distilling. Learn more about these nonprofits and how to donate directly by visiting homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental. And let's give back together.
we're sitting here at the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of Everywhere and Nowhere, somewhere in cyberspace, and we're having a couple beers. And uh, these both would have been more appropriate last fall, huh? <laughs> well, they would have, but I just had mine. And I'll tell you what, I think it's appropriate for any time of the year. And the one that I'm having is Arrow Lodge's Nightmare on Dank Street. Which I love. Uh, an IPA, possibly? Quite possibly, yes. Uh, and in particular, this is an IPA featuring uh, Strata. Now, Strata is one of those. Oh. Yeah, so Strata is one of those newer hops. And for whatever reason, like, my brain keeps confusing Strata and Sabro. Like, really? even though they taste completely different. Completely different. And so when I first picked it up, I, I saw the can, and this was for one of the happy hours. And I was like, oh, man, Sabro or Strata? And thinking it was the coconut. And then I popped it, and I tasted it, and oh, wow. No, that's yeah. not a coconut. That is a fantastic West Coasty IPA. Lots of hop character to it. Uh, now, Arrow Lodge is one of those quiet little breweries that sort of exists in the world, where I'm not exactly hearing a lot of hype about them, but they are putting out some absolute bangers in terms of beers. And in this particular case, when we did the happy hour, I always buy an extra four-pack just to make sure that if something goes wrong or somebody goes, oh, dude, I forgot to get my four-pack this week. I have an extra on hand. And fortunately this time, when I did this, the four-pack got messed up, and I got four cans of Nightmare on Dank Street. So I just absorbed that mm. one so it didn't go down the chain and screw up somebody else's order. <laughs> Turns oh, out, man, the, the, the sacrifices you make. Hey, you know, I had I, never had the beer before, so I was like, okay, well, but I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to that, and I'll, I'll be okay. And you know what? I was more than okay. I was damn happy. <laughs> You know, I uh, I did some research into Strata recently because there was a beer that I had uh, that had Strata in it, and I just loved it. And uh, apparently Strata is usually referred to as tasting and smelling like really good pot. And I thought to myself, well, that's why I'm so into it. Yeah, and that's, I mean, this was a very... A very dank IPA that lived up to its name. Now, of course, I also kind of think it's funny because they call it an IPA, but... It comes in at eight and a half percent. Yeah. So that to me is like that's in that that border zone of IPA to double IPA. Yeah, right. Um, and I will tell you, this one had I'm trying to remember Strata and Nelson. Well, that's an interesting combo. It was, but you know what? It worked like hell, and um, I was very very happy to have it, and uh, very very happy to have more of it. So if you're in the Covina area. Not West Covina from my crazy ex-girlfriend, but Covina, the the original Covina. Uh, go and stop by Arrow Lodge Brewing Company and go have a couple of their beers. They're actually getting ready to open a location in downtown L.A. And if you go to the Covina one, though, at the same time, you can literally walk around, well, cross over one street and down a third of a block. And a Losta Brewing Company is right there. So you can hit two brews for one drive. If you're in the L.A. area. If you're in the LA area. And Dincenzo, you said, uh, you'd said, you have a fall beer. What do you got? Yeah, well, uh, like you, I went with a beer from a local brewery that probably most of the people out there aren't going to be able to get their hands on. But, you know, what the heck. Uh, we've talked about Block 15 brewing before, mainly in, uh, 
mainly in relation to their IPAs because they make some incredibly good IPAs, uh, most notably Sticky Hands. Mm, sticky they, Hands. Yeah. They also make incredible German and Belgian style beers. And what I'm having today is their take on a Doppelbach uh, called Accumulator. Uh, it's just a delicious beer. Although I have to admit, it's a little bit out of the mold of what I usually think of as a Doppelbach. It has more uh, more chocolate, coffee kind of flavors than the uh, the, the fruity, raisiny kind of flavors you normally think of uh, for a Doppelbach. But it's close enough that you'd recognize it as a Doppelbach, and it is just absolutely great. Um, I don't know if it's still available. I don't know if anybody is close enough to get any if it is. But if you have a chance, get a hold of some and check it out. Block 15 Accumulator. And I know you said that they make great Belgian and German beers. It's just so weird to me because I think because of Sticky Hands, I just automatically go IPA with them. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, basically the hoppy beers are what people think of when you think of uh, Block 15. But they took gold at GABF last year for an alt beer. I mean, <laughs> how cool is that? And one of my big regrets is that I wasn't able to make it to the brewery to try that while it was still around. <laughs> and now you have to go there and go just shake somebody by the, the shoulders and tell, give me an alt, give me an alt. Yeah, right. I, I'm not sure that would work. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of working, there are a couple of things that have been in flight since we last did the beer news. And the first of those is Guinness is expanding. Because, after all, don't we need more Guinness in our lives? And <laughs> and by that, what I mean is that Guinness is opening up a second microbrewery here in the U.S. So, a couple of years back, they opened up a small research brewery in Maryland. And now they're getting ready to open up a second one, which is going to be in Chicago. And, you know, they're not going to brew the Guinness Stout there because, it turns out, it's going to be a 10-barrel brew house. So, not enough to meet the the average Chicagoans needs for Guinness, right? And I just think it's interesting. I like I find this whole plan to be fascinating because I don't get it. Yeah, I was going to say I find it to be kind of incomprehensible, but I'm not complaining. No, I mean it, but it, it's it's just interesting because of course uh, Guinness is a massive brewing company of was it Diageo is their owner who is what the world's largest spirits company or second largest after Bernard right. Richard. Um, and so this is a massive, massive company opening up two relatively tiny breweries. And I'm just, I mean, is it brand extension? Is it just trying to build local loyalty for the beer? I, I don't understand. I mean, I'm not going to complain about it, but it just, it, it, it puzzles me. Yeah, you know, I, again, it doesn't seem to make any business sense, but what do I know? Yeah, so it, it is very strange. If anybody's been to the the Guinness breweries in Maryland or the one that's about to open in Chicago, uh, let us know because I'm really curious to see what they're doing. I know that the one in Maryland has been producing a lot of different beers. Um, maybe they're pilot, pilot research facilities. Think of it that way. Like, here, what happens if we make Guinness gold but do it on a small scale and see if it works first? Anybody remember Guinness Gold? I do. No. <laughs> actually, actually, I kind of do. I can't say that I ever drank any, but I kind of remember it. There you go. There, there's your early 90s Guinness throwback, people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. But in other pieces of business news, 
the Rare Barrel, who you remember we had uh, Jay from the Rare Barrel here on one of the very first episodes of this show, yeah. episode three. Um, he uh, And that was all day back in 2015. So the Rare Barrel in Berkeley has been sort of specialized in doing really adventurous mixed-cultured beers. I think that's probably about the, the best way to put it, right? And... Yeah, Jay's obviously made a name for himself in terms of talking about sour beers and microbial stuff. And just like here in L.A. where we lost two or we're about to lose two uh, mixed cultured breweries, the Rare Barrel announced that they had to sell. And so they've sold the facility to uh, Cellar Maker, which is another local San Francisco brewery that I mostly think of with IPAs. And turns out that it's actually kind of perfectly timed because Cellar Maker could not renegotiate their lease in Soma. Uh, and if you're familiar with your San Francisco geography, or hell, if you're not, you know that anytime a neighborhood gets a four-letter acronym type name, it's going to be very expensive, right? So <laughs> um, Soma, Soma is an expensive place in San Francisco, and they could not renegotiate the lease on the, the brewing facility they'd had there for a decade. So since the Rare Barrel was looking for someone to buy them, Cellarmaker bought them and is going to be moving their brewing operations into that facility in Berkeley. And what Rare Barrel had put on uh, Instagram about this whole thing was they say, over the past six months, we've been exploring a sale of the brewery. Like many others, the financial toll of the pandemic hit us hard, and we determined that the best way of preventing a closure would be to find a partner to take over the Rare Barrel. Today, we're pleased to announce that we've reached a deal to sell to our friends at Cellarmaker Brewing, who will continue to produce and sell the Rare Barrel brand in addition to their great beer in our facility. This feels very much like one of those cases where, hey, we've run out of operating capital. Um, so somebody come in and take over our bills for us. Um, it's unfortunate, but I wonder if this isn't part of what I see as a trend, which is this sort of slowdown. I mean, we've talked about the slowdown in Belgian beers before, uh, Belgian classics. If there isn't sort of a slowdown in people willing to pay extra money for mixed cultured beers. You know, I wouldn't be at all surprised about that. Um, it is kind of a, a niche market and, uh, you kind of have to, um, you know, really, really like that stuff. And I know that personally, I'm kind of like burning out on sour beers. Unless they're for male song. Well, and, and even then, I don't drink as much as I used to, you know? Well, and so it, it is curious. I mean, I'm glad to see that the brewery will still exist in some fashion. I'll be curious to see what that fashion looks like going forward. And I'll also be curious to see what, if anything, changes about the quality of the beers that are being produced. Yeah. Because, I mean, to me... Brewing is one thing in terms of the sort of crafty nature of it, where, you know, a lot of science and replication and all that. Uh, sour beer making or mixed culture beer making is a lot more artistic in a way. It's much more about the blend and, and a little bit of luck and faith and, and controlling what you get at the, or responding to what you get on the other side of a, semi-unpredictable fermentation cycle. Right. I, w I would say more artisanal than artistic, but yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, you never know exactly what you're going to get. You can only hope for the best. Right. And so I think the blender or the, the taste buds that are the back end matter a lot more than I think they do in, in most craft beer. So I'll be curious to see with this sale what happens with the, the quality of the brand of Rare Barrel and whether it stays the same, improves, or gets worse. So, very interesting. I really don't think we're... 
I really don't think we're anywhere close to the end of this uh, sort of business, so we'll, we'll have to see and keep an eye on it. In the meanwhile, I'll enjoy the couple of rare barrel beers I still have in my closet. Cool. All right. And last bit of news before we move on to the brewery, or to our brewery, since we're talking about a lot of breweries right now, uh, is it was announced that Keurig Dr. Pepper has invested in Athletic. So one thing at first is, I never knew that Keurig and Dr. Pepper were now one company. Yeah, I didn't either. And, and it's actually, it's like Keurig Dr. Pepper Snapple. So all those are now all together in one, in one house. Um, but they've invested in Athletic. And they've invested to the tune of $50 million. So this is not chicken feed here. Why don't you uh, tell people who Athletic is in case they don't know? Well, okay. So if folks will, if you go back and look in our archives, you'll see that we interviewed uh, the folks behind Athletic Brewing Company, which has been produ- uh, producing sort of craft, non-alcoholic beer, right? And so doing a fermentation process, making a non-alcoholic IPA, non-alcoholic stouts. They've got a couple of non-alcoholic lagers. And when we say non-alcohol in this particular case, it's the more traditional definition that, uh, legally speaking. So it's beers are under 0.5%. And, you know, they've been running amok. Uh, they now have two breweries. When we talked to them, they only had the one out there in Connecticut. They now have a brewery here in San Diego. Uh, and so they've been growing by leaps and bounds. The BA puts out their annual list of top 50 craft brewers in the country. And in 2021, they weren't in the list. Or no, actually, sorry. 2020, they weren't in the list. And 2021, when they debuted, they debuted at number 27. You know, which gives you an idea of their growth pattern here. Yeah, no kidding. But Keurig is investing $50 million. It puts them into the position of what they call a lead investor. So they're kind of on par with the equity funds that have invested into Athletic as well. And what I really thought was interesting was because we've talked before about how non-alcoholic beer is growing in terms of, you know, market share, uh, money spent on it. Denny's tried a couple of things I sent him, like the Sierra Nevada Hop Splash. And I also sent you the Lagunitas Hop. Uh, did you ever try that? No, that is still sitting in my fridge, and I've been looking at it recently. Uh, I've been trying to wait until Paula has time to try it, too, so I can get her opinion on it, but I may not wait much longer. There you go. So there's lots of different options that are now appearing, which is fantastic, right? Because, uh, frankly, I, you know, it's good to have something that isn't just water or tea or soda to have during, <laughs> during downtimes. But what I thought was really interesting was of all these non-alcoholic craft beer companies that have popped up, so like Athletic and Partake and you know, a whole slew of others, Athletic apparently sells 55% of all the craft non-alcoholic beer market. And they're outpacing the, that whole segment. It's outpacing growth of all the other non-alcoholic segments. So, again, this gives you an idea of just how big they've gotten. They control 55% of that market, which is amazing. <laughs> it is, and it's, it's a growing market, so that means that uh, they're, they're part of it. Even if the share doesn't grow, the revenue from it will. Yep. And in the meanwhile, you know, I mean, their run-wild IPA... That's a pretty yeah. decent drink. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is. Uh, I, you know, there are a lot of non-alcoholic beers out there these days. I've tried a few of them, and uh, the especially in the terms of the IPA, uh, the uh, Athletic is head and shoulders above anything else I've tried. 
I still have not been able to find the non-alcoholic Deschute Black Butte Porter, which is supposed to be stunningly good, and I'm looking for that. And uh, non-alcoholic Guinness is also getting great reviews. And I have a couple of cans of that, and you know what? It's actually pretty good. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, I haven't. Uh, the the other one I have uh, have not uh, delved into that gets positive reviews, but then again, I think you have to like Heineken. Is the Heineken Zero? And so I, I know I need to try it at some point just to complete the knowledge in my head, but I'd have to drink a Heineken, and I'm not a world's Heineken fan. Really, man? I've, I guess I've uh, flown enough that I kind of have developed a taste for Heineken. A lot of times, that's the best choice you can get on a flight. There you go. Fly Alaska, and you always have craft beer, right? If they go where you're going. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. Well, while we finish talking about non-alcoholic beer, I think we'll finish up these decidedly alcoholic beers that we're having and move on to the brewery. Yep, let's do that. We'll be right back. Fall brewing is defined by fresh hops, beer fests, and creative fermentations. Y-Yeast's latest release, Flannel Fest, offers up two yeast strains and a wild and sour blend for your seasonal brews. 2247 European Lager produces a clean, dry, and crisp profile often found in aggressively hopped lagers, while 2487 Hellebach Lager is known for creating the rich, full-bodied, and complex flavor profile of German beers. Our exclusive 9097 Old Ale Blend will develop the favored pie cherry notes and sourness from Brett in an easy-to-use mixed culture. This option is ideal for those getting started with Brett and beer aging for darker beers. Head over to whyeastlab.com for our latest advice about brewing with these strains, available now through the end of December. Visit store.whyeastlab.com for new Whyeast merch. Let's get brewing. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. It's just about time. It's just about time. Don't you think it's about time? We talked about beer. Okay, this is the part where everybody sings. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, beer. All right, welcome back, everybody, and thank you for listening to those messages from our sponsors. Can you hear it? Just there in the background. It's a little clink. Clink, 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 clink. Yes, it's an airlock. That's because we're in the brewery. <laughs> oh, you're so artistic. <laughs> I'm so something. All right. So uh, 
today we're going to do something a little different here in the brewery. We're going to talk through what happened at the Ales Through the Ages conference, talk about a couple of things that Denny and I have been making before we get into my tasting of Denny's hobbling shoes. So I got Yay. a couple of things, got a couple of things to cover here. So let's kick it off right now. Ales Through the Ages, the conference that happened at Colonial Williamsburg. If you go back a couple episodes, you'll hear me interviewing Frank Clark. Sort of obsessively nerding out about the historical brewmaking. Um, I think Denny has finally recovered from editing that episode. <laughs> it wasn't bad. No. Um, now, obviously, I couldn't make it to Colonial Williamsburg, so I attended virtually. And, you know, that meant for me waking up at six o'clock in the morning to jump online to go listen to lectures. Uh, I'm dedicated to this, people. Dedicated about something. Um, and it was it was actually really great. It was a lot of a lot of different learning opportunities, a lot of different topics that were being covered. It was you know not just all historical, but some of the things that happened that I thought were great was there was a whole lesson about persimmon beer. And as I'm standing here talking to you, I can stare out of my garage and I can see a giant persimmon tree that's dive bombing my yard with persimmons. So I need to do something with it. So persimmon beer will be coming up. But other random observations that I, that I just want to share with you from the conference, and by the way, the conference lectures, I think, are online for people to view. I didn't know if you had to buy a ticket, but they're available. Um, but random observations, uh, Craig Garina, who we had here on the show talking about Albany Ale, which is sort of his obsession, he had a very good point that he said that, you know, it's like uh, people of the past weren't stupid. Uh, don't make the assumption that we here in the uh, 20th or I guess now the 21st century uh, know more about making beer than people in the past. And, but we do. Well, we we do in terms of the, the baseline knowledge, but at the same time, I mean, the, I think his point was people in the past knew how to make beer. You know, we make a lot of bad assumptions that it was all, you know, Britannomyces infected and, and all that. How do we know it wasn't? Well, because we have tasting notes from the time. You know, it's not, you know, and we know how people tend to drink. Um, but yes, we've developed technology since then. But the, to Craig's point, and this is actually something that I've harped on on years is, you know, like, I mean, every, everybody talks about like the ancient aliens theory, right? Of, of history. Oh, well, you know, the, the pyramids were obviously built by aliens or aliens assisted the Egyptians to build the pyramids. Um, I think one of the things that's always irritated me about that and it's some of what craig's capturing here is our ancestors were not stupider than us you know they they had uh, yeah they didn't have the same baseline technology of, and baseline of knowledge to work from but they weren't dumb they knew how to make things work oh yeah they, yeah so uh, that's part of the reason i get irritated at that and i get irritated whenever people are like hey you know the people of the past were stupid no they weren't no, no, they weren't stupid, but they didn't have the knowledge base that we have to work with. Yep. So, you know, assuming that, assuming that, say, beer was, you know, no different is, to me, well, no, just... No, no, I, I didn't say no different. I'm just saying it was, you know, they knew a lot about brewing. I mean, like, a lot of the stuff that we as homebrewers do is really 1850s stuff, you know, with some extra uh, extra bits added onto it. Yeah. Um so the other the other thing also that you can really see in looking at this conference is that absolutely nothing is new uh, in terms of beer making, and also that you know I've said in the past when whenever we talk about other subjects that modern humanity is way too obsessed with the idea of what makes a beer a beer in terms of grain versus wine or versus fruit versus wine and all that. And it's very clear when you go back and you look in, in history and like when uh, Travis was talking about uh, really ancient stuff, 
or even uh, talking all the way up into World War One, it's very, very clear that what has been beer has sort of danced all around the map in terms of what it involved, what it was. So these sort of weirdly Procrustean standards that we have today would have made our ancestors sort of boggle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, I will say it was a lot of fun. It was well worth me waking up at six o'clock in the morning to go, you know, learn some stuff online. And the other thing is, you know, trying to figure out how to make that stuff practical and meaningful in terms of what we do today. So very, very interesting. I thought it was well worth the, the attendance. Uh, I hope that the people who attended the conference had fun and we're going to have Frank Clark come back on the, on the show and talk a, a little bit more of a practical example of one of the beers that they make, but that will be coming in the new year. Cool, man. Uh, he's just got some fascinating info. Yeah. Oh, and also, by the way, it turns out uh, scalding. Scalding does a lot of good for you in terms of what happens with the brewery. Scalding your skin? No, scalding the brewing equipment. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. That makes sense. Especially back in ancient times when they didn't have some of the advantages we have now. Yeah, the, it, you, know, you don't have Santa Clean back in the day or Star Sand or Iota for Scalding works. All right. Yeah, that's right. Now, from something antique to something not quite as antique, but still actually a fairly old thing, uh, it's Falcon's Claws time. And if you listen to the last episode that we posted up, where we went back and we looked at some of the, the winter recipes that Denny and I are known for, I posted about Falcon's Claws. And it's literally, as we're recording this, a couple of days before Swiss Christmas, which is the traditional time of year to make uh, your Sammy Claws. And so I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and nail the date this year. I'm usually off by about a week, but I'm actually going to try and nail the date this year and do it on December 6th. And this one will be fun for me because I'm going to use the simplified recipe that, that I developed over the years. And it, even the simplified recipe though is still hachimachi. It is 14 pounds of Pilsner, 14 pounds of Munich. And two and a half ounces of Carafa Special 3, so that's the debittered Carafa, and that's for six gallons. <laughs> wow. And so what, part of the reason why I want to do this, and I think it's a perfect time to do it, other than the fact that it's nice and cool here, is that I've done a couple of session beers now, smaller beers on the G40 that I've got, but I've never done something big on it. And this is about as big as you can get in the G40. So I think, yeah, man, you're going to be just maxing that puppy out. Well, if you look at the grandfather specifications, they say that you can get 29 pounds of grain in there. And so this is going to be 28 plus a smidge. So it's going to be really, really tight. And it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how this works. I'm going to reach out to the grandfather folks before I do this, just to go, Hey, am I being stupid? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know I'm being stupid, but am I am I going to get myself into trouble here? And what do I need to think <laughs> well, about? Well, I regret being stupid. Yeah, and so, <laughs> and again, I mean, that's 28 pounds or 12.7 kilograms of grain, and by the time it's all said and done, after the sparge and the mash, about 11 gallons of water to produce a six gallon batch of beer that's going to come in at around 11.27, 11.35, somewhere in that area, uh, and then get fermented with. Yeah, you know, we had one question come through about, hey, you know, what do we do with the? We don't have a Zurich Lager yeast because White Labs only is releasing that in the summer for some reason. Uh, well, go and use the S189, which is exactly what I'm going to do, and I'm going to use multiple. Yeah, really. I'm going to use multiple packs. I was gonna, how many are you going to use? 
five? No, no. I was saying I'd probably use three. three. Yeah, I was going to say three. Three seems reasonable to me. Yep. Because again, this is a stonkingly huge, stupid beer that's going to ferment for the better part of a well. The active fermentation will only still take about two months, but then the the final part of the the, the beer, the aging, is going to be more like until next December. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, that's a big beer. It's going to need some time. It's a project, and I like it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great. And uh, Denny, you decided not to do a project beer. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, about this time of year is when I always uh, crank out my brown ale recipe, uh, No Tie Brown, and uh, just having some of uh, Oakshire's ill-tempered gnome, which we'll talk about on an upcoming episode. I was I was really inspired to do it, so I cranked out a, a batch of it. It's been in the fermenter a while. It's cold crashing now. It's just about ready to go. I slightly cut back the amount of chocolate malt that I used because while it's a delicious flavor, um, the it's just a bit darker than I went for a brown ale. Um, and you know, it's got uh, a fairly good dose of crystal in it, no, 7.9%. It's not like over the top. So, you know, I get the richness from that too. So basically the recipe, uh, consists of, uh, 57% crisp Chevalier malt, 31% uh, Munich. And I used uh, best malts Munich this time because let me tell you, this was from an eight year old bag that was unopened <laughs> and stored in a uh, plastic storage tub. And it was, I mean, it was just great. I opened it up. It tasted good. It was crunchy. There was no sign of softness or staleness to the malt. So, there you go. There's a there's a data point for you, uh, not not a proof, but a data point that if you have old malt and you store it well, it can last a long time. See, I'm actually surprised because you have you you obviously have a lot of moisture where you are. Yeah. Um, like I've had no problem storing grain down here because, of course, we're not desert dry, but we're pretty damn close. Um, right. And moisture to me is always the big enemy of malt storage. And so I'm actually really surprised that, that you got that many years out of it. Keep in mind, this was in a sealed bag, right? It was in one of those those woven nylon bags with a plastic liner, and it was uh, inside a uh, a large plastic storage tub. So you know, it, it was it was reasonably well uh, preserved, but it's one of those things that yeah, I was kind of surprised too, but. I needed some Munich that was sitting there. I thought, well, if I'm ever going to use this stuff, it's probably better sooner than later. Well, and, so, uh, and it'll be interesting to see, given that you've switched the base malt over to the Chevalier, like how how much of a difference you'll notice in the beer. Yeah, I mean, and that's going to be hard to say because I don't have any of the other versions around to try it with. I, I can tell you it's delicious. I've been stealing samples from the fermenter. Hmm. Uh, it, it gets bittered with magnum, uh, gets some Willamette at 45 minutes, more Willamette at 30 minutes, more Willamette at 15 minutes, and uh, a big dose of Chinook at flame out. Now, you might wonder about the weird hop schedule. That's because this recipe began life as one from uh, Greg Noonan's Seven Barrels Brewery book, uh, a book that is out of print. But, boy, if you can find it, it has some of the best recipes you'll ever run across, although they do need to be, you know, updated for modern methods and ingredients. 
but being an old book like that, I mean, he, this originally had a 90-minute boil to it. I just do 60. He had a 90-minute boil, and he was adding hops every 15 minutes all the way through. Uh, through the years of making it and experimenting, I uh, decided that some of those are probably unnecessary. I've cut it back, made it a little bit simpler. And I'm sure that nobody is going to be surprised to hear that the yeast I use for it is uh, Y-Yeast 1450. <laughs> yeah, anybody who's surprised by that should probably go check your comprehension reality. <laughs> uh, anyway, it started off about uh, 1066. It's ended up about 1014 uh, in the in the 6.5% area, which is just great. has a... Uh, Nice bitterness to it that plays well against the the malt from all the Munich and Crystal that's in it. Uh, I, I'm real happy with it, and if I wasn't recording this right now, I'd be out in the garage kegging it. <laughs> well, we better hurry up and get you get you out there kegging. But first, we got to taste a beer. Yeah, the the beer that I brewed before this that I've mentioned several times on the last few podcasts is, uh, I call it Hoblin Shoes. Uh, it's kind of an homage to uh, Ublan Schoof, which is their version of a of an IPA Belgian style. Uh, I, I really enjoy this beer a lot. So uh, I guess now we should listen to what you think of it, huh? Indeed. Warning, there are mentions of crayons. All right, and now it's time for another segment of the mailroom here where... We're shipping beer back and forth to each other. Now, Denny's talked about this a lot on the podcast in the past. Hobbling shoes. His homage. Remember, homage is very important here. Not a clone. It's simply a nod towards. His nod towards Brasserie Schuf's Ublon Schuf. Right? So, hoppy Belgian IPA triplish thing that should just be smack you in the face with hops, but also a lot of those good Belgian characters. I got here a little bottle. Let's see how we're doing. There we go. Nice little fizz. All right. I've got a little glass here, and it is pale and golden. Nice little white head. A little bit of bubbling going on. Hmm. So immediately I get that tropical fruit punch character that you get sometimes with Belgian yeast and you know where you may have some sugar involved. I also get citrus fruits in the background, so that's probably the hops that, that I'm smelling. Hmm. And I know this one's going to sound a little funny, but I also get a little crayon. Hmm. But honeyed crayons. I know, that's a very weird descriptor. But here we are. Let's take a sip. Nice and dry in the back end. Get a little bit of that honeyed sweetness character coming through all the way through the beer. So just a long kind of low. Actually, it's almost even like caramelized honey, like a little bit of honey that's been put on the heat for a while. But over the top of that, we get all of this hot bitterness, which in this case is more leafy than I would think like a normal American IPA would be. But I still get those citrusy characters. And yeah, to me, this hits 
the mark of what I'd expect out of something that's supposed to be a, a nod to Oolong Shuv. It's got a hop character to it. It's got some bite. It's got a lot of aroma to it, but it still fundamentally feels like a Belgian beer. So almost like the base is a Belgian style triple with all these uh, overtones laid in on top, like little chromatic scales. Um, just tasting it. I still actually would prefer a little bit more hop character in terms of the aroma. I'm not getting the big bright punch I would have expected, uh, but I'm still getting a lot of aroma. I just, I'm, I'm greedy. Give me more. And now, of course, I'm also going to have to do research on why crayon. Hmm. Cause I'm not getting any, any bad fermentation characteristics. So a lot of times if I would think something waxy or plasticky might be a, a fermentation characteristic, a bacteria, which then he's not going to have bacteria in his beer unless he intends for it to be there. But here I'm not getting the fermentation flaw that would t- say to me, oh, that's why you're getting the, the waxy plasticky thing of a crayon. There's just, I'm wondering if it's some sort of weird sense memory combined with that honey and with all the, the fruitiness. Yeah, so overall, on a Drew's uh, scale, I'd have to give this two thumbs up. So good job, Mr. Denny Khan, with your hobbling shoes. Now I'm curious to see what Denny would say that he wants to change. So is this like kind of a a subtle ploy to get me to send you coloring books? (laughs) No, I have plenty of adult coloring books if I want them. But this is something I need to – I feel like I need to mention is that, again – my philosophy on describing a beer tasting or doing judging is to do to the best of your ability to deliver exactly what it is you're perceiving. And w- Absolutely. And way too often I feel like people get obsessed with the idea of like doing sort of the BJCP notion of, you know, oh, you have this flaw in here that's caused by XYZ. You should do X to fix it. To me, I think it's more useful to describe exactly what it is you're getting. So the example I always give to students when I'm teaching them in BJCP classes is if when you taste a beer, you taste Hawaiian fruit punch, say you taste Hawaiian fruit punch, you know, trying to say, oh, absolutely. Trying to say, oh, I I taste, you know, something that smells of, uh, you know, tropical pineapples and this, that, and the other is good. But literally, if you are tasting Hawaiian fruit punch, there is zero wrong with saying I taste Hawaiian fruit punch. Um, so that's part of the reason why it's a description, not a value judgment. Exactly. Uh, I once entered an alt beer in a competition and I got a comment back that it had a dirt aroma to it. And I was so upset. I was insulted. And then with that in mind, I smelled it and it's like, oh yeah. And I talked to the guy who judged it later and it, you know, he didn't mean anything bad by it. He was simply describing what he smelled. And then, you know, it's up to other people to decide if it's good or bad. Yep. So now I, what did you think about what I got when I was stationing this? I, I think that you are, you're right on. Um, I, I agree with everything. I have to admit that I haven't been able to find the crayon in it that, that you do, but, uh, you know, there's so many phenolics in that beer. Uh, I definitely agree with your comment about the aroma. And, you know, it's been a few years since I've had an actual Ublon Schuf, but I don't remember a, big hop aroma to it. So I think that this is pretty much in context 
but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't like a little bit more. No, and that's kind of what I was reacting to, right? Um, and and again, I've said it many times. I think there's a real there's a real fine line and trick that is walked between combining hop aromatics along with phenolic yeast. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, to me, I know I like a lot of IPAs. I like a lot of hoppy things, so I know I'm always going to want a little more hop aroma. But, yeah, it just is what it is. And I think, you know, since, as you had said before, this is an homage. Yeah. uh, You were definitely leaning in that direction. And I think, you know, overall, the beer came out fantastic. Yeah, it's my beer. I can make it what I want it to be. Um, And I would like to have a little bit more hop aroma in it, but that is probably the only thing about the beer that I would change. I just absolutely love it. Uh, it was made with, you know, just crisp Hana malt and cane sugar. Um, and that Hana malt has so much flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm already, I mean, I probably still have half a bag of it. I'm already wondering if I'm going to be able to get more when it's gone. I think that it was kind of a limited supply. Yeah. I know right now those, all, all those heritage malts are sort of in low supply, um, from what I understand. But I, I think they're coming back, and I'm hoping they're going to upscale the program. So, Yeah, I, I would hope so. We'll just have to wait and see. And if not, then we'll just enjoy the fact we were able to try them. Yep, absolutely. So, And, yeah, that, that Hana malt is really great. It's kind of a combination of hay, flowers, and honey. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good way to put it, too. Yep. All right. Well, again, always appreciate getting a chance to taste beers. If you want us to do what I just did to Denny, you can always contact us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com, and we can see about doing the same service for you. <laughs> yeah, send us free beer. Woo-hoo. Hey, <laughs> why not? Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll have a quick tip. We'll have something other, and we'll send you on your merry way. Please stick around. The ultimate all-in-one electric home brewing system is here. The new Grainfather G40 can produce up to 11 gallons of beer and features all the latest advancements in home brewing technology, including wireless control so you can monitor your brew day from the Grainfather app. With an innovative new grain basket design that improves workflow, reaching mash efficiencies of 75% or more is easy. The 3300-watt heating element brings your wort to a boil quickly without any scorching, and the large hop plate filter guarantees that no unwanted grain matter or hop tube reaches your fermenter. Every G40 comes standard with a high-powered built-in pump that can handle temperatures over 200 degrees Fahrenheit and a full three-year warranty that guarantees that you will be able to keep on brewing no matter what. The new Grandfather G40 is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer or online at grandfather.com. Mechagrade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their eighth generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve Mechagrade. For more information, please visit mechagrade.com. Thank you. 
welcome back. We have a Q&A episode coming up here real soon. Uh, 168, 169, 170. I mean, you know, what's an episode or two? January. But, <laughs> yeah, it, it'll happen in January. But in order to have answers, we need questions. So please send us your questions. Uh, try to stump us. Try to get us to help you out. Try to see what kind of fools we can be. Send your questions to podcast at experimentalbrew.com, or you can send us a text or voicemail at 626-765-1-ALE. All right, and now, a quick tip. A quick tip. This comes from my uh, my uh, Hoblin Shoes brew. Uh, it was going to be a 1084 beer, and I knew that probably my usual... Uh, shaken, not stirred starter method, uh, was not going to be adequate for it. I'm not a big believer in cell counts anymore, but on the other hand, you want to make sure that you have at least enough. So I kind of like perverted the shaken, not stirred method and put, uh, two packages of YE's 3522 Arden into a quart of wort, shook it all up, it started fermenting violently or vigorously, let's say, within a couple hours. And the next morning, it was uh, still going strong when I pitched it into the beer. Uh, this, to me, is just more evidence of something that I'm becoming more and more convinced of, is that yeast activity and health matters more than cell count. And again, you know, you don't want to just think about pitching one cell in there and say, oh, that's enough. Uh, but you don't need to be concerned about having the exact number of cells that some yeast calculator tells you you need either if your yeast is active and healthy. Because when you put that in there, it's going to just take off. It's going to go crazy. And within a few hours, your cell count will be way, way up anyway. So, uh, you know, if you have a higher gravity beer, I mean, I, I usually like to use slurry from a previous batch for that. I didn't have that option for this. So again, two packs into a quart of wort using the standard uh, shaken, not stirred procedure has worked really, really well for me. There you go. Don't forget, shake your starter like it owes you money. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, and of course, we'll close the episode now with something other than beer, because into every life, something other than beer must fall. And for me, that's going to be this week, uh, I just got a Steam Deck. And mm. if you don't know what a Steam Deck is, a Steam Deck is, imagine if somebody made a Nintendo Switch, but instead of a Switch or a Nintendo product, it was a little gaming PC. And I have not had a gaming PC you know, to be able to play games on since 2010 or so because uh, everything in my house kind of became max and you know so i've been able to play some games that are available on max but i haven't really been able to play anything big like you know fallout 4 or skyrim or you know any of these games that have come out in this past period of time so steam aka valve aka the big software corporation that runs steam the software store along with half-life and maybe half-life 3 at some point in time before i die um they, they've built this little gizmo and it's, I think the lowest price one's about 300 bucks and the most expensive one's like 700 or something. And, you know, 
it's literally a little Linux-based PC that you can play games on. So I've been playing Fallout 4 on there, trying to catch up on that, and all this sort of fun stuff. So if you have game suggestions from, say, post-Bioshock 2 period to now, uh, let me know because I'm looking to catch up on some uh, gameplay. Cool, man. I, uh, I whip out some games on my laptop every once in a while, but... Uh that's about it for me. I I was a huge, huge gamer maybe 20, 25 years ago um, when we had to play games on steam-powered computers. <laughs> Don't forget the little hand crank on the side. <laughs> no, well, yeah. and I mean, like for me, I, when I was growing up as a kid, I had, uh, I had an Apple IIe that I played a lot of games on. I've futzed around with C64s and Amigas and all that. And then as an adult, I had a couple of gaming rigs for a while, and so I was able to play a lot of those. But, uh, yeah, then eventually, as life happened, it went by the wayside. But people will remember I was talking about, like, hey, you know, anybody got suggestions for an arcade machine for the for the brewery, you know, where I'm standing now. And as I was thinking about it, I decided, well, instead of spending money on an arcade machine, you know, where I can, like, get, like, downloaded arcade games, why don't I get one of these Steam decks and I'll just hook it up to a TV, and that way I have a little gaming area here in the brewery and don't take up extra floor space. And so that's what I've done. And I've been having a lot of fun. I went back and I replayed Bioshock, and that game is as good as I remember it being. But now now I'm just looking around and seeing other suggestions that people have. You know, So like Vampire Survivors, I've been playing that on my deck again. Uh, but yeah, let me know. It's good. And you can buy <laughs> they're They're available now for purchase and shipping. So you no longer have to wait. Like Valve announced them two years ago or something like that. It was like a two-year development process before people actually started to get them in their hands. But now you can actually get them. Cool. Yep. Sounds like fun. Yep. And so that's a Steam Deck. And now, out of here. Out of here. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, which is experimentalbrew.com. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter. We're EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Drew hangs out on the uh, homebrewing subreddit and the uh, Slack homebrewing channel. You can find me hanging around on the AHA discussion forum, the Bruce Brothers discussion forum, the Brew House at the Beer Garden discussion forum, and, of course, I'm all over Facebook. If you want to ask us a question, suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or just rant and rave, or send us questions for the upcoming episode, you can email us at podcastedexperimentalbrew.com. Or if you want to get a hold of us each individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And we do have that phone number you can contact us. It is 626-765-1AL. That's 626-765-1AL for a text or a voice message. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. (laughs) 